Welcome back to The Shepherd's Pie, a slice of faith for our messy lives. I'm Tony Colank, a professor at Ave Maria School of Law and also the father of five grown children and the author of Inspirational Fiction for Teens and Adults. I want to mention, by the way, that I am available to come speak with your uh, middle grade or homeschool classrooms, talk about writing or the Middle Ages or a host of other topics you can find information about on my website, antonycolank.com. There's also a little speaker request form you can fill out there. But today we are speaking with Ann Cavera about faith and suffering. My guest today is Ann Cavera, host of the podcast Speeding Past 80, which brings stories of faith, hope, love, and laughter, and was even featured on Fox News Digital in 2022. She's also a middle grade author with a new book coming out, Ride a Summer Wind, coming out in spring of 2024. She graduated from Florida State University, served as a teacher with the Peace Corps in Liberia, West Africa, and that's where she met and married her husband, Jim, another Peace Corps volunteer. She was married for uh, nearly 60 years, uh, but her husband, Jim, recently passed away after a battle with Alzheimer's. Over the course of her career, she was a middle grade teacher, a youth minister, and a college counselor before now becoming a writer and podcaster. She lives in Ohio, and it is so nice to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed your podcast, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here. As I'm reading over your bio, I'm just thinking, what an exciting life. So maybe just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, if you want to expand on any of this in your background. Well, Jim and I did meet when we were Peace Corps volunteers in Liberia. And at that time, I was a Southern Baptist. I had been raised as a Southern Baptist, but I wasn't really practicing my faith. And I knew that I wanted to have a husband and a home in Christ. Even before I graduated college, I was praying that God would send me just the right person. Well, here I had graduated. I taught for a year after college, and I was in Liberia, and God wasn't answering my prayer. So I began praying, dear God, send me just the right man, and I will marry him even if he's Catholic. Well, God has a sense of humor. And I uh, met Jim. We were friends. And then someone told me he was hitchhiking 20 miles through the bush every Sunday to get to Mass. And I thought, there is a man with faith. Our friendship developed. We fell in love. We got married. And we started our family. And our family eventually included three children by birth and one by adoption. And we've had some foster kids as well. Not many, but some. But before we got married, I did become a Catholic. I just wanted a home united in faith. And I really didn't know much about the Catholic faith at that time. There wasn't an RCIA. At some point, I fell in love with this faith that I had adopted, just not knowing much about it. I fell in love with the history. I fell in love with the way Christ still worked through people, called people to these wonderful vocations. We now have four grown children, our son, Chris, and his wife and our grandchildren live just a mile or so from us. Our oldest mm -hmm. son works in Seattle. Our two daughters are in Los Angeles. Tell us a little bit about your, your writing and, and this new book that you have coming out. We took care of my mom and dad for some years near the end of their life. 
And at one point, Jim said, you know, we have to find a way to do something together. And he suggested we write a column. So we began writing a column called The Second Half. And I said, this is going to be wonderful. We're going to have a book. We'll do programs. He said, well, why don't we do two or three first and see how it goes? Well, we ended up writing that column for 14 years for The Message, our Catholic paper in Evansville. That was more than 700 columns. We did win some awards from the Catholic Press Association, and we also won some other awards. I think it's the Catholic Media Association. I felt like I was a writer at that point, but I always wanted to write a book. And I was having a rough day one day as a youth minister, and I called Ligori Press. The woman said, let me put you through to an editor. Now, if you write, you know that never happens. And they published a collection of our columns in 2006. It's called Grounded in God. So that was our first book. But being a reading teacher, I always wanted to write a story that kids could relate to. I dug out a manuscript I had started writing when my kids were young. I began working on that. It's taken a long time to get this manuscript published, but it's about a young musician who lives with her grandfather, and she takes a vase that she thinks has no value and gives it away. And actually, that vase is very important to her grandfather. And it's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of adventure. And it's a story about loss, too, and finding out what's really important. So I'm very happy that Elk Lake has agreed to publish that. You know, there are, I think, between two and three million grandparents raising grandchildren alone in this country. And this really is a shout out to them and the effort they put into giving their grandchildren the best that they can. All right. And so you're also, at the age of 79, decided to start a podcast, which I would imagine uh, most people at that age are not thinking of starting a podcast. And your podcast is called Speeding Past 80. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, why you decided you wanted to start a podcast and what's your podcast about and how's it been going? Well, this is sort of the same situation I had when we were taking care of mom and dad. Jim was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2018. And really, he had had trouble for about three years before that. We knew something was wrong, but we kept making excuses, covering that kind of thing, which I think people usually do. So when he was diagnosed with that in 2018, I wanted to care for him. But I think caregivers still need to preserve a little part of themselves. You can get lost in being a caregiver. And so I wondered how I could stay connected to the world. And then I discovered my son, Chris, teaches communications at Bowling Green State University. And I found out he was teaching podcasting. I thought, oh, <laughs> I will ask my son if he would help me do this. And Chris graciously said, yes, he has recorded and put up every podcast by the next day. And I think we're on episode 87 this week. And it's a podcast based on the kind of columns we used to do for the message. Just stories of faith, hope, love, and sometimes laughter. They're brief, five to 10 minutes. I started it as a way to stay connected, and this little podcast has meant so much to me. I look forward to uh, meeting people through it. Since I create it and host it, 
I'm the editor, but Chris goes back with a very wise hand, and he edits whatever I say the day we record. I think this is just another of God's gifts, but you know, it really is about taking stock of what you have and figuring out how God can help you make something of it. You know, we just have been given things by the Lord that he will use if we just are open to it. And you got that great plug on the Fox News Digital early on in your podcast. I met uh, a woman at a writer's conference. And then when my podcast was starting, we were friends on Facebook. I went through my list and I made a list of 100 of my friends to write a special individual note to on Facebook. And I think Michelle Blood, who wrote this article for Fox, was number 98. And I really did almost give up at number 95. But I wrote a note to her and she wrote back and she said, hey, I write for Fox. Can I do an article on you? And I was so glad I didn't quit at 95. <laughs> kind of transitioning then to uh, some of our theme here today about faith and suffering. You've already talked about your husband's battle with Alzheimer's. You know, you talked about caretaking and seeing your husband battle in this way for several years. Can you address a little bit about what you go through in that situation and, and how your faith intersects with that? Well, I can't remember all the stages of grief offhand. Denial, I think, is the first one. We certainly went through that pretty early on. Anger, you know, this can't be happening to us. Jim has served the Lord all his life. You know, why on earth would this come into our lives now? And finally, the grief is there, and it's there from the beginning. You know, it's not as though the loss were sudden, as sometimes happens in people's lives. They call it the long goodbye for a reason. And I think I mourned with Jim over every single loss. It's bit by bit by bit. He couldn't remember names, or he would have me remind him who people were. And for one or two winters, he spent hours every day reading large print books that we would get from the library. And then about the third year after he started doing that, he would read a few pages and he said, I can't make out the words. So we tried these audio books, but he couldn't follow the plot. And finally, until a year or two ago, we watched movies on Hallmark, but then he couldn't follow even those. And then his vision started going. At some point he couldn't write, but he could still sign his name. And then even after a while, that was a loss. He handled our finances. And after a while, that too became a loss. Bit by bit, I saw him disappear right in front of my eyes. Now, the blessing in all of this was I had read about people who have loved ones that get angry, physically abusive. Jim did not do any of that. He was always a very peaceful person, and he remained peaceful until the very end. He always remembered to say thank you. Even at the very end, he could get out a thank you. I know the last night he was home before he entered hospice, we were up in the middle of the night, and I had gotten him changed. He was needing to be changed at that point. He had broken his arm the day before in the garage. And we spent several hours in the emergency room. They sent us home with his arm in a sling that was stabilizing. After I was able to take care of him that night, the last thing he said to me was, thank you. 
And he often told me he loved me, but his last words were thank you. And because of who he was, I was able to survive emotionally and mentally. If he had been a different kind of person, I don't know if I could have cared for him all of those years with things changing bit by bit. Do you have a sense or can you speak to maybe what you saw in his own faith as he, you know, you said he was a somebody who served the Lord his whole life and how he was able to handle uh, those kinds of changes and losses in his own life? Yes. Jim had been a deacon for 40 years and he had been a social worker even longer. He worked at our Catholic hospital. He always said he just wanted to serve Christ by serving other people. And he had actually turned that into a fine art. So when this came and we had the diagnosis, we heard the neurologist say, this is Alzheimer's. We came home and we both cried. And we said between us, we'll get through this like we've gotten through everything else. We'll just do it together. And I really prayed every day that I could take care of him until the end. And I prayed that when the end came, it would be peaceful, pain-free, and swift because he would have hated being in a bed in a hospital or nursing home. That would have been so hard. And God answered every prayer. He went into hospice after that terrible night with his arm broken. He went into hospice the next day. He was in hospice four days and he passed away. So God's grace is sufficient. It may be hard, but God's grace is sufficient. You talked about just the challenges of, of needing to take care of your husband. Can you talk to some of, you know, your own way that, you know, faith may have strengthened or assisted you during those years? Yes. The thing about Alzheimer's is you don't know how long the road is and you know it's going to get rougher. And so, you know how we always talk about living in the moment. Christians are big on that. And yet we're so small on doing it. You know, we're always planning for the future. We're trying to make things right here, trying to do better there. But with something like Alzheimer's or cancer or any other disease that can go on and on, you really do have to live in the moment. And I think diseases like this are a school for that. You take each moment and the hard ones you offer to the Lord and the good ones you just live for all you can. I came home from the store one day and our son, Chris, was staying with his dad and they were sitting on the front porch. And as soon as I got out of the car, Chris ran over and he said, I have to tell you what dad said. And his dad was having a hard time putting thoughts together by then. Jim said, I've lost a lot, but I still have people who love me. And Chris said, and I agree, we'll carry that with us the rest of our lives. As long as your loved one knows that they are loved, it's worth it. And so you live these moments. You take the good ones, you treasure them. You take the bad ones and you live through them. You offer them up. And I think God is with us through every one of those moments. It seems to me that human suffering oftentimes is a cause of people to lose their faith. Even people who might not believe in God, a lot of times it seems that it's because of evil in the world and suffering in the world. And even uh, the book of Job, right? Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? 
So I don't know that you will have the answer to the age-old question that has caused humanity to struggle for so long, but I'm, I'm interested on, on your thoughts of having had to go through this. Why do you think God allows bad things to happen to good people like Jim and yourself? You know, I don't have the answers, but I did read a quote by C.S. Lewis today. He said something about it being tied up with free will. I don't know why bad things happen to good people. I think a lot of us are going to ask the Lord that the first step we get into heaven. But I know God and I know that I can trust him with whatever happens to me, good or bad. And so that's what I rely on. I can't have all the answers to all my questions now. But I have hope and faith in the future. I have hope and faith in a God that I know and love and trust. And I believe that it will all be clear to me someday. When any of us going through suffering, because everybody suffers in some way in their lives or watching other people, you know, that they love suffer. I know that there often comes a time where people feel like they can't go on anymore or they just they've had it up to there and, and they just so I don't I don't know if you experienced that. I suspect what you went through, you must have had some of those moments. I'm just wondering, you know, how did you get through those moments? You know, what was it that allowed you to be now that we're on the other side of those moments and it's still somebody here who's talking about having such faith in God and, and God's purpose in our lives? Well, during the last year, I reached a point where I was waking up every morning as tired as when I went to bed. And I would wake up and it would feel like there was an enormous weight on my chest, just like a block of marble that I couldn't get rid of. I was mentally and physically totally exhausted. And there were days when I didn't know if I could do another day. In fact, in September, before Jim died last year, our daughter was going to come from California for a week. And I thought, you know, I can get respite care for Jim at a nursing home near us. And I knew it to be a good nursing home. And so I signed him up for two weeks, thought I would rest a few days before our daughter came. And then uh, a few days after she left, Jim was there just four days. And I realized that he was totally brokenhearted being there, didn't understand why he was there. He had a call button that he could get help, had no idea what this button was for. The bottom line was, I could still give him a little better quality of life at home. So I brought him home. And that kept me going. I knew, first of all, I loved him. I knew he would do the same thing for me. I knew I could give him a little better care at home still. Now, if that had been different, if I hadn't been able to care for him anymore, if he were abusive or anything that would have caused me to not be able to care, I would have put him in there. And the other thing is, I would just say, if I can just get out of bed, I can make it. So the goal wasn't to do the whole day. The goal was to put the feet on the floor. And that's what I did. I put the feet on the floor and then it said, what next, Lord? And we made it. We just made it that way every day. 
And there were nights when he'd be up anywhere from three to five times at night. I would get maybe two hours, three hours, and I'd think I can't go on like this. But you know you can. You can do almost anything you have to do. So we made it, and then he passed away. He went into hospice November 21st. He passed away on the 25th. We had family in and out until December 21st. So it was a long leave-taking at the end. And I did not begin to feel rested until two days after Christmas. I woke up one morning and I thought, oh, I slept all night. This feels pretty good. And you know, the days have gotten better since. But those days that are so hard, the goal is to put the feet on the floor. If you can stand up, God will get you there. So you went through those years of suffering, seeing your husband suffer. You're on the other end now. He's passed. A little bit of time has gone by. As you're reflecting now, I'm sure, and still a grieving process, do you have any advice on, you know, getting through this part of the suffering process? You're not caretaking anymore, but now, obviously, you know, you've lost your husband. You know, I've made some mistakes already getting through this part of the process. I did not write notes right away. And I have, again, about 100 people I would like to write notes to. I think if I could do it over, I would start on those immediately. I'm still writing notes, and it's two months after after Jim passed. So, and get some help. I didn't ask anybody to help me write notes. I wish I had taken everything over to Chris's house and said, you take five, you take five, you take five, pass them all out. So get help. And then let people help you. I've got people that have offered to take me out to eat. They've offered all kinds of things. And at first I said, no, say yes. Even if you don't feel like it, say yes. And then I think the question I used to ask every morning, I'm still asking, what next, Lord? What do you do now? And I've got ideas. And we'll just see what happens. It's still hard for me to think about a future without Jim. But God has left me here, and I know he'll create one for me. All right. Any final thoughts that you just want would want to share with listeners who might be going through suffering in their own lives, either personally or someone they love? I think the loneliness is the hardest part. Because after a while, Jim could not even talk, and it was like I was caring for him. But I had no one to communicate with. I would say rely on your faith. Even if it's just a very small faith at this point, if you open your heart to the Lord, the faith will grow. And faith is the only thing that will get you through something like this. You just have to remember that you're not on this earth alone. You're not in this alone. God is with us. And if you open your heart to that presence, that presence will get you through. I really appreciate you sharing. I know these are real tough topics and a lot of people wouldn't want to talk about them. And you've been so candid and open with me. So thank you for that. If folks want to learn more about you, figure out how to get your podcast or pre-order a copy of your book that's going to be coming out this spring. Uh, where would you want them to go to do all that? Thank you. The podcast is called Speeding Past 80. 
And in your search bar, if you put in podcast speeding past 80, you'll get a link to it. I have a website, www.ancaverawriter.com. You can find out more information there. And my book is from Elk Lake, and I think you can get it through Amazon. I'm not sure if I'll sell it on the website, but I know it will be out on Amazon as soon as it's available. And I'm not sure if Elk Lake sells directly from the company, but you can certainly Google their website, look at the other things the other authors have written. They've got some really fine books, and I'm just happy to be there. Well, Ann, thank you so much for being on the show. It's really been a pleasure and an honor to have you on. I've really admired you since you know you first reached out to me when you were thinking of starting this podcast. And I'll be honest, I was like, all right, well, that's cute. What is she going to do? And then you went out there and you killed it. And I was like, wow, okay, this is amazing. And so- well, shout out to my son. I could not do it without him. I'm just very blessed that he can handle that. Yes. I mean, it's it's just been amazing. And I just really appreciate uh, you and, and the inspiration that you are in, uh, in everything that you do, it seems. So thank you for being on the show with us today. Thank you for having me. Uh, unfortunately, that is all the time we have today. But we've been speaking with Ann Cavera about faith and suffering. Again, this is Anthony Barone Colank. Uh, you can check out more about my books and writing on my website, anthonycolank.com. But until next time, may God bless us as we rely on our faith to work through the messy challenges of our lives.